on today's episode of Neyland's Basement. College football is almost back after a long seven-month wait. Let's get into it. Welcome into the second season of Neyland's Basement here on the WUTK Network of Podcasts. I am your host, Tucker Harlan, alongside Dominic Throngard. Dom, we are so close. We are so close to being back. I can feel it in the air, and I just, I, there's no time like the beginning of football season for me. Just college football, it's been in my lifeblood for a long time now, and just... I wish I could say I felt the air getting a little bit colder, but out here in Knoxville, it's not getting too much colder nope. yet. But nonetheless, football is back almost. Yeah, red 104 on my car today. Not exactly the most uh, crisp August day just yet. I don't really think there are any kind of cool crisp August days that we're aware of. Yeah, not in my book at least, but I can't believe it's already back. Uh, it was such a long wait, yet every time it gets close again, yeah. it feels like it we were just right there. Yeah, we had enough just interesting stories this summer, not just with Tennessee, but around, uh, of course, with conference expansion. You know, I don't want to talk about that too much because it's a sad thought. Uh, but, of course, you had the investigation results that were released back in July here at Tennessee. So, yeah, pretty eventful summer. Yeah, definitely a big summer for college football, especially with realignment, which even though we don't want to touch too much on that, I feel like we kind of have to. We will eventually. We will eventually, especially when we go through the Pac-12 here later on in the show. Uh, But let's just go ahead and get straight into it. We're going to go, I guess, division by division, although there's really only four divisions left now in college football. Uh, You know, you've, you've got the five power conferences, but three of them, the divisions have dissolved in already. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird feeling. College football, the landscape just keeps changing and changing. It looks more and more unfamiliar each year, but, you know, maybe there's new exciting things to come from it. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get into the SEC here. We'll start with the division that is most important to us here on Neyland's Basement. That is the SEC East. Sitting up there at number one, you've got the defending national champion, two-time defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. At number two, you have Tennessee Three and four, you've got South Carolina and Kentucky. Florida down there at five. Mizzou at six and Vandy at seven. That is in the SEC media poll. I voted in this thing, Dominic. It's weird that they trusted me to do that. (laughs) Did your order look anything similar to this? It's actually very similar to this. I think I might have had Florida below Missouri maybe. I may have said something, you know, messed up down there near the bottom. Maybe I had Kentucky ahead of South Carolina. It's been a while, so I don't remember the exact results. But I do know that I had Georgia ahead of Tennessee in the poll. Yeah, for me personally, I think this is a rather accurate one. Although, you know me, I I believe in the Vols. Yes, you do. I, I really do think that there is a shot for this team to come on come out on top in the SEC East because uh, this team can lose one game and still win the SEC East if we beat Georgia at home. So, I mean, there's a distinct possibility it happens, and this Tennessee team, uh, I mean, yeah. they deserve a full preview at some point. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny to me to hear Georgia fans out there saying that their quarterback situation is going to make it tougher for them to win. But they don't have to worry about a difficult quarterback situation until they get 11 games into the year when they come here to Tennessee because most of their, I guess what you could call more challenging games, are at home this season. They don't play a difficult non-conference schedule. And, I mean, outside of that, you're just going to Jacksonville to play Florida and then Nashville to play Vanderbilt in a stadium that is woefully small this year. We're in the 20,000s over there at Vandy with the renovations. So, yeah, uh, not too difficult of a road back to a three-peat there for Georgia. It really isn't, unfortunately. But uh, the Tennessee game is – that's the game of the year. It it really is. is. Uh, not just for Tennessee fans, but this is a game that can potentially determine the outcome of the college football playoff because Georgia has such a weak schedule. If Tennessee beats them, they're likely coming out on top of the ten- or, uh, the SEC East, which means Georgia won't get a shot in the SEC championship game, and a one-loss Georgia team would be a really interesting thing for the college football playoff committee to have to deal with when there will be, obviously, two other SEC teams in the SEC championship who at that point both might be defeated as well, undefeated, that is. Yeah, and on the note of Tennessee, uh, obviously that is the most important team here. I cover Tennessee now. I'm on the football beat officially this year, Uh, so going to be a lot of fun following them around. And they've got that first game in Nashville against Virginia. Of course, we're going to go way more into that next week. And I think this is a team that's got, you know, there's a a lot of teams on that schedule that will present themselves later on in the season. What I mean by that is I think that they will you know, improve over the course of the season, or at least should that play Tennessee on the schedule. And I think nine to 10 wins is very much a possibility for this Tennessee team. Absolutely. And I, for me personally, I think that this Tennessee team has done nothing but improve everywhere except for perhaps quarterback. I mean, Josh Heupel's recruiting skills have been incredible. And so he's got a lot of his own guys that are starting to come into this program now. And our defense last year, that was a bit of a sore point, especially the secondary. And he went out, he got guys recruiting, he got guys in the transfer, transfer portal. So, I mean, realistically, the defense can't be any more worse than it was last year. And the offense should be just as good, if not better. Because I, I don't think Joe Milton's better than Hendon Hooker. But I think a lot of people doubt Joe's and Joe in ways they shouldn't because this is a guy that is an absolute athlete. Everybody knows that. But... There were a lot of spots last year in that Vanderbilt game and the game against Clemson where he looked like he was actually able to rein it in a bit and control those passes. I know that's a big question ahead of the 2023 season that will need some answering, I think, toward the beginning, especially in that Virginia and Austin P game. But from what I've seen, I think Joe Milton is very much primed to be the guy, at least from what I've seen in practice, as the starter uh, you know, I think Nico Yamaleaba will get his chance down the road, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, I think he's still a freshman just getting used to everything here at Tennessee. So that's what I've got on the Bulldogs and the Vols. Of course, you got the rest of the SEC East, which I, I think South Carolina and Kentucky being in there at three and four is respectful. I think Kentucky will have a much better offense this season than what it did last year, especially with Liam Cohen and a couple of quality transfers coming in. South Carolina is patchy in some places i think they've definitely got enough talent just between uh you know spencer rattler juice wells nick harbour in the passing game and then of course that secondary is pretty solid but it's going to be interesting to see what they can form 
on the ground and then how they can stop the run. That that will be their weakness this year. But overall, I, I think both of those teams are very much deserving of where they are in this poll. For sure. And I really think that you can swap either of them and it would probably make sense because Kentucky, I think, is less talented than South Carolina in most spots. However, they play more consistently and they seem to play better as a team. The main thing with South Carolina is they have struggled a lot with consistency as a team and they're just it, I haven't felt like there's been a consistent read on South Carolina. I can't tell what they're going to be like. Obviously, it's a painful topic for Vol fans, but you know, they beat the crap out of us last year, but they went and lost their bowl game and Yeah. Uh, I I just don't know how to read yeah, that team. It's interesting because Spencer Rattler definitely had that once in a lifetime performance against Tennessee. He, you know, it wasn't the prettiest game, but they found a way to get through Clemson. But then they go out there and lose the bowl game. I I just I don't know what exactly to make of this team. And it's not an easy schedule for South Carolina mm-hmm. either. I mean, we're not going to go schedule by schedule on all these teams, but you know, just some tough games out of conference in particular with North Carolina and Clemson that, you know, have me thinking that this team, it could be a bumpy road for this team if they don't, you know, straighten things out early on in the year. Absolutely. They're just going to be looking for that consistency, especially because like you said, they're talent, they're really talented in some spots, but it's just, they're a bit of a patchwork because they have those really shining talents in one spot. And then the next guy over is someone you've never heard of. Exactly. Uh, Rounding out the East, you've got Florida, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Florida, I think it's fair to pick them at five because uh, on paper, this team does not look great this year. I, that's not just me being a, a Tennessee guy saying that. It's it's the truth. They got those running backs and a receiver, but you don't have much else on that offense right now. But, you know, with Florida, the talent alone is enough to put them in a position where they can maybe surprise some people at times. Yeah, I think Florida will have a couple of shining moments, but I just don't think Billy Napier's that guy and this team. I I really honestly feel like that Mizzou should be ranked ahead of them. Yeah. Mizzou, is, Mizzou honestly kind of impressed me last year. Yeah. Uh, Brady Cook's a good quarterback. Well, uh, I do want to counter that just a little bit because Eli Drinkwitz said that both Brady Cook and their backup quarterback will be taking snaps in that South Dakota game. So, And when I was at SEC Media Days, Drinkwitz was a little on the fence about Brady Cook. So yeah, we'll see what happens there. I definitely get being on the fence about him. But against Tennessee, I felt like he played a really solid game, and that's the most I've been able to see of yeah. Brady Cook. And so there's definitely potential for him it's just uh, a lot of the questions in the bottom of the sec east are a matter of consistency i think and then rounding it out is vanderbilt i actually think vanderbilt could be a team that could find its way into a bowl game this year uh, just with some of those games toward the top of the schedule for them absolutely i mean vandy is cursed by being in the sec because they're not a program that has the potential to be a great one but they're not terrible anymore i mean they beat florida last year they didn't look the worst and there's a lot of winnable games on that schedule they just have to find a way to win some of the tough ones all right over to the sec west now you've got alabama sitting there at number one safe pick it feels like lsu at two a&m at three you've got ole miss at four arkansas five auburn six and mississippi state at seven Alabama's a fascinating case this year because you know the defense is going to be good. You know they're going to run the football well, but how are they going to throw it this year? Because you've got three guys at quarterback that haven't really impressed Nick Saban from what we've been hearing. And another part of that is we've also heard that 
they're likely going to go to a more physical ground and pound game as well at Alabama. So it could be a very different looking Alabama team this year than we're used to. It really could be, especially in recent years where Bama has had the famous pass game. And it's interesting to see Nick Saban kind of pull it back into the run game that Bama really did used to be known for running that pro style offense with guys like Mark Ingram, um, Derrick Henry, just a lot of talent at yeah. the running back position in Alabama. Yeah. And I think Jace McClellan will certainly be in that conversation with those running backs by the time this season is said and done. Yeah. And it could all be war games too. You know, Nick Saban. So he might yeah. just be setting up smoke screens and oh, absolutely. maybe he has his guy picked out at quarterback already. Yeah. And he thinks that they have a really solid pass game. Yeah. Looking at two and three on here, uh, LSU, if you've listened to any of the rock solid sports shows recently, you will know that I've been accused of being an LSU fan. And here's the thing. I, I think there's only a couple of games on their schedule that, really look like they could be 50-50s because I, I just think that that schedule will put them in a situation where 10 wins is very much expected. Undoubtedly. I mean, they don't have a strong <laughs> they don't have a strong schedule, so it's just a bit of a cakewalk yeah. uh, outside of having to go up against Bama, which that's the key matchup yeah. in the West. Well, the one I'm really looking forward to is the one we're going to see, not this weekend but the next weekend at florida state well not at florida state but in orlando so you know more or less a home game there yeah to me that's going to be kind of the battle of the uh preseason overrated teams <laughs> because the people have been extremely high on lsu they do love florida state. florida state they do love florida state the florida state love we'll get into that yeah. later when it's their time all right number three we really do need to get into this one texas a&m <laughs> uh pick number three in the west and you know for good reason i think they've got a quarterback that didn't get to play as much because of somebody that was named starting quarterback at Georgia Tech. We'll get into that later. Uh, but you've got a, a talented defense. You've got Anias Smith, who missed all of last year with an injury after that Arkansas game. He's back for you. Really, the only thing that I think they're going to need to find the guy for is running the football, which is not an issue. But you've got this weird marriage between Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher over there. And from what I saw at SEC Media Days, Jimbo was playing a little bit of defense there. I mean, do they want him out over there at Texas A&M? I can't figure out what the deal is with this team. Yeah, Texas A&M is always going to be a difficult job because those fans are, <laughs> we've said it many times, they're yeah. cult. Yeah, and it'll be here this fall. That will be interesting to see. I'm wondering how we'll get along with those Texas A&M fans. And I actually have a lot of family coming into town for that game, so that should be a lot of fun. But Texas A&M, interesting team to look at because we know they have all the talent in the world, but there was a bit of controversy with that talent. Yeah. Uh, you know, only winning five games with what is yeah, and then guys, considered the best recruiting class ever. And guys that were five stars in that recruiting class having to transfer to junior colleges uh, for off-the-field issues. So, I mean, this Texas A&M team has a lot to prove. We know they have the talent. It's just a matter of if they can actually fit the pieces of the puzzle together this time around. Oh, absolutely. So, rounding out the SEC here, you've got Ole Miss, Arkansas, Auburn, and Mississippi State down there at the bottom. I like Ole Miss where it is. I don't really have any qualms with that one or anything. Arkansas, uh, I think the defense will let it down again, unfortunately for them. Auburn and Mississippi State are some fascinating ones. I think Auburn is going to be a team that will surprise some people this year. I, I think Hugh Freeze 
with a lower floor than what he had at Ole Miss will set him up to do better things there than what Harson was able to do pretty quickly. So I I think Auburn will surprise some people by the time the year is said and done. Mississippi State's fascinating, obviously. We talked about it at the end of last year, but with the Mike Leach passing, you've you've got a new offensive system there. you, you got the same quarterback, but it's going to be a different-looking team for sure at Mississippi State. We'll see what Zach Arnett can do in year one. Yeah, this bottom half of the SEC West is just – really the game of wait and see because we don't know a lot of how these teams are going to play out besides I would say Ole Miss and you know Arkansas we have a decent idea but I kind of feel bad for Ole Miss almost just because I think this is the ceiling for their program like I don't don't think they can get any better than where they're at right now it's really tough because you know Lane Kiffin is a coach that as fun as he is to have a in a part of your program, he doesn't actually have that much to show for when you think mm-hmm. about, you know, hardware or anything. So, uh, yeah, I just don't think Ole Miss is really going to get a whole lot better than what it is right now just because he, he already peaked at 10 wins not too long ago, and we know this team's going to run the football well, and I just don't know what to see or what to expect, rather, uh, out of this Ole Miss team just because Jackson Dart at times was iffy. They've got – really a three-man quarterback battle going on there because you've got him, you've got another errant quarterback that transferred in from Oklahoma State and Spencer Sanders. you got Walker Howard, who really didn't play at LSU. And you've got transfers galore on the defensive side of the ball. So there's a lot of experimentation going on there. Yeah, Ole Miss is kind of just college football's great experiment with Lane Kiffin at the helm. And I mean, I don't think there's a better fit for all of it because it just all seems to work hand in hand there. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to do it for the SEC. Uh, Big Ten, last two divisions we have to talk about here. The the Big Ten East, there's really not much to go through here. This is a pretty chalked-up division, really has been for the last, like, five, six years. Uh, You know it's going to be a collision course between Ohio State and Michigan. You know Penn State's probably going to have a solid year. Probably won't overtake either of those teams. Michigan State's the one that I look at here and say, you know, maybe they could do better because, you know, Michigan State's one of those programs that just fluctuates between, like, 4 and 11 wins. But I I just don't know with what they got right now. We'll see with Michigan State, I think, is the best way to put it. But, you know, I think Maryland is an appropriate spot just because of uh, Talia Tagovailoa being back there. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see anything out of Rutgers in Indiana. Yeah, I, I'm – in the same spot you are it's just the only thing of interest is at the top a lot of people have actually been predicting that this division's going to be a three-way tie Hmm. uh because ohio state can lose to michigan michigan can lose to penn state and penn state can lose to ohio state that'd be messy so we can have three 11 and one teams at the top of the big 10 east without a real tiebreaker between them which that would be fun to see in chaos but with these big conferences, we're seeing a lot of potential for multiple playoff bids. It's it's quite the sight to behold. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting in the Big Ten East, at least at the top. I don't see much going on with four through seven here. Here's another division that was very interesting last year. I, I don't. It was it's kind of gross watching the Big Ten West oh, yeah. last year. It's pretty awful. It per- was some of the worst yeah. viewing experience yeah. I've ever had. I, I know we picked Purdue to be a sleeper last year, and they ended up winning the division. But Illinois, who was picked, I want to say last last year in the Big Ten West, ended up leading most of the year last year. 
in the Big Ten West. So this year, you know, you add in some new things that I think will make it more exciting. At number one, you've got Wisconsin, and I really do like Wisconsin this year because you know the defense will be good. You know they're going to run the football well. They've always got a good O-line. Braylon Allen, the running back, is basically the next generation of a Derrick Henry. He's He runs about 6'2", 245, so pretty similar physically. But you're adding in an air raid element to that offense, too. You've got Phil Longo coming in from North Carolina. You've got Tanner Mordecai, an experienced quarterback in the air raid system from down there at SMU, the Pony Express. And I, I think we're going to see a much different-looking Wisconsin team this year. And it's going to be a, a, a more fun Wisconsin team to watch, I feel like, than you know the regular power football. Yep, and with Luke Fickle at the helm. So this could be a very interesting Wisconsin team that kind of gets a little bit away from that Big Ten West mentality yeah. of just uh, speaking the, of Big Ten West. Look at the uh, team right after them. I was sitting down there at number two. <laughs> number well, we, two. Well, okay, Brian Ferentz. <laughs> Brian Ferentz is going to be given an incentive this year for however many million dollars. I forget what it is, but just to average twenty five points a year this year after how uh, just atrocious of a no, season what, they had it, last year. Wasn't it he gets fired if he doesn't meet like the twenty five point goal or whatever? I thought for sure it was just an incentive. No, I thought the contract stipulated. You think his dad's really about to fire him? <laughs> I I mean, he kind of has to <laughs> because when the defense scores yeah. more points than the offense, uh, someone's got to go. Don't you just love a football program where they are just content to win seven and eight games a year It's and keep their coach for 25 straight years? It's honestly unreal. Like, I understand that Iowa's not the most attractive program, but you have to try to be better. And, like, you can't just live in the last century of football. Because, I mean, watching Iowa play, it's like watching a woolly mammoth come back to life and walk amongst elephants. You're you're absolutely right. You've got just ugly football all around from Iowa. Some people enjoy ugly football, but... (laughs) I don't particularly, especially after having, you know, watched this Tennessee football team under Josh Heupel for the last couple of years. It's much more appealing to the eyes to see that as opposed to whatever I was doing. And they might be gambling over there, too. That's another thing we've heard. Betting against themselves. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, there may be some of that involved as well. Uh, Don't want to speculate too much into that, but that's just some reports that we've heard throughout the offseason. Uh, moving on, rest of the Big Ten West here. You got Minnesota and Illinois at three and four. Nebraska down there at five. I think Nebraska could surprise some people just because they finished on a decent note last year. Of course, they didn't go to a bowl game or anything, but you bring in a guy in Matt Rule that was able to build up Baylor, who you know had just fallen apart after all the Art Bryles nonsense went on there. I know Scott Frost was pretty awful for Nebraska, but I think Matt Rule should be able to build them up pretty nicely yeah, over time. I, I think I agree with you. I think that Matt Rule is going to be able to at least get this program started in the right direction. I think that they'll be back to bowl games here pretty soon. Maybe yeah. not this season, but in the next couple for sure. I, I think it, it very well could be this season. I, you know, I, I have to look more into the schedule. but uh, I just feel like the Big Ten West is so even across the board. I... Uh, just with like, was, with with everything coming into Wisconsin this year, I think they will separate themselves a yeah, little bit. I, like with the exception of Wisconsin, because I yeah. think Wisconsin's the only team in that division that has clear cut yeah. talent with clear cut yeah. leadership. Because Iowa, their team that's good, but 
they don't have that clear cut leadership that yeah. feels like anymore. I don't know. Yeah, the, the good thing about Wisconsin is you've married a dude that loves the air raid to a head coach that has a defensive background, cares about what his defense looks like. So that's a good combination right there, I think, mm-hmm. atop your football program. Uh, last two in the Big Ten West, you've got Purdue and Northwestern. Of course, Purdue, new coach there, new quarterback. I, I think this team's going to look still pretty similar just with scheming and whatnot just because you bring in Graham Harrell, who is known for his air raid philosophy. And then Northwestern down there at seven. I mean, they won one game last year. It wasn't even on U.S. soil, and they just fired their coach for hazing allegations. So yeah, I think they're they're going to be riding this season off. Dumpster fire of a program right now, unfortunately. Yep. Okay. We are done with divisions here. We're just going to go whole conferences now because that's all we have left. No more divisions in the ACC, Big 12, or Pac-12. So here's the look at the ACC. You've got... Clemson at one and Florida State at two at the media poll. Interestingly, we've seen a lot of both coaches' polls, Associated Press, and, you know, whoever else that is a college football expert out there. Uh, They've been putting Florida State ahead of Clemson in some of these, which I find pretty fascinating. And this is going to be a result that we're going to see pretty early on in the season with these two facing off, I believe, at or near the end of September. Yeah, this is going to be a very interesting one to watch. And I just, for me personally, Florida State, I don't quite understand the level of hype. Yeah. I think I think they're a great team. I think that Jordan Travis is a great quarterback. He's shown a lot of talent, very fun to watch. And Norvell's finally got this program tilted in the right direction. But let's not forget the fact that this program was, a, they were thinking about firing him last season before it was getting started like he was very much on the hot yeah. seat we oh, were yeah. talking about it on that the LSU show. game probably if that if that result doesn't happen if that just bizarre football game does not happen and go in his favor last season can't go well for them I don't think exactly so I don't know why all of a sudden everyone has this complete faith in Norvell when he has only begun to prove himself a bit so I especially with the Florida State team that, you know, they've consistently landed good recruits because they have such a marquee program that it's not like he's necessarily been able to get new guys to turn the thing around. So I I don't know what's exactly changed over there for people to think so highly of them. I think they're going to be good, but I don't think they're going to be as good as people think. All right, moving down the line, we've got North Carolina at three. That feels pretty appropriate. Uh, Granted, they can play a little bit of defense to beat some of these other teams down further down the list. Uh, you've got NC State at four, which I find pretty interesting. I mean, I, I don't read too far into them, but they, they lost Devin Leary. They got a new quarterback there. So, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe they're better than all these other teams. you got Miami at five, which I, I feel like this is fairly similar to Texas A&M. It's a program that you know can be good, but it's just – they just find ways to be mediocre every single year. And, you know, we thought with Mario Cristobal coming in from Oregon, you know, there was all the high praise for him as being a good coach uh, or just for him being a good coach out there at Oregon. But he in year one at Miami, it just it didn't work out. I just feel like teams that do not play on their campus or close to their campus and play in NFL yeah. stadiums are not set up for success. No, I agree. 
because I think that the key of success in college football is having fans close to the game, and no one in Miami cares about Miami football. Yeah, and that's actually interesting you say that. Tennessee has an offensive lineman who transferred in, John Campbell, who discussed that exact same thing in his media availability a couple weeks ago. He mentioned the fact that you've got the Heat and you've got the Dolphins there, but without you winning national championships like you did in the 1990s down there in Miami, you know, it, it, nobody's going to care. Yeah, I mean, you as a player, it's got to be so frustrating and annoying to play for this huge program and you go to the games, you go to the stadium, and you look in the stands, and there's not even people there yeah. to support you. Like, it's rough. You just got to ask, why are why am I here besides the money? Absolutely. So in a tie at six, you've got Duke and Pittsburgh in there. And I, I think Pittsburgh is one that's fairly well established as a middling part of the ACC right now. Uh, Duke, I actually really like Duke. There's a lot of returning pieces to that team last year. They did it with defense last season. It'll be interesting to see how they do, though, without the lackluster establishment of the ACC Coastal Division to protect mm-hmm. them. Yeah, that is definitely going to be the main thing with Duke because they they had the benefit of the weaker division last year, and seeing if they're able to do it against better teams, it's going to be a lot more difficult for this Duke team. So middle of the pack, very realistic for them. And, you know, that's a that's a high mark for Duke. They're still in the process of turning that football program. I, I wouldn't even say around because there was no good to them before yeah. they were bad. They've just been bad forever. Yeah. So finally getting the program turned in the right direction for once. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you had David Cutcliffe who developed them into a team that could find a way to win nine, ten games, but... He had an expiration date. You know, he was an older guy, so um, they had to do what they had to do and get rid of him. But Mike Elko has done a good job over there at Duke in his short time there. So it'll be interesting to monitor their progress as the season goes on. Further down the line here, we've got Louisville at eight. I don't like this at all. I think Louisville can be better, especially with Jeff Brom as the head coach there now, an alum of Louisville. Yeah, Louisville's a real interesting one because they – They've seemed to struggle at the athletic department uh, the past couple of seasons with football and basketball. But with Jeff Brom coming back, I think that this team really can be something yeah. different and something new that might actually yeah. work out. And you, you consider Jeff Brom's success at Purdue as well. That's a place that's not particularly easy to win, and they were able to go to a Big Ten championship last year. And, you know, it's Purdue, uh, they care a little bit more, but it's like having to win a game at an institution like Vanderbilt, right? Or win a, have a winning season at an institution like Vanderbilt. It's tough to do. It's really tough to do. And in a place like Louisville, he's going to have more resources there for him. And he's already got an old quarterback of his, Jack Plummer, who's transferred in there to Louisville. So I think, I just think they're going to be a lot better than what people are giving them credit for. I do too. Um, although I am fine with their placement, I think they'll be better than Duke and Miami. But Pittsburgh is another team that I think really has established themselves yeah. on the higher end. It it is a question though because they don't have a uh, Slovis anymore, do no. they? Let so. me let me look at who they actually have now. I'm I'm already forgetting. But you know they don't have their running back that they had last year. Yep. Um, it, it's a team that definitely is going to rely more on 
its defense than it did in previous years. And they've always got a, at least one or two very good D linemen over there mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. All right, I'm, I'm flipping yeah. through my magazine here. I'm, I'm trying to find it. Their defense is always really strong, and that's the strength of Narduzzi. But their offense was so fun for the past couple of seasons with Kenny Pickett well, coming Kenny, through there. Kenny Pickett was good, but, you know, Slovis, I just didn't feel like ever could get anything to work for him last season. And, you know, a lot of what they had to do last year was rely on Izzy Abanacanda in that run game. So, man, the pages must be just sticking together in here or something because I am not (laughs) seeing them anywhere. Oh, here they are. Here they are. We've got Phil Dracovic, the Boston College and Notre Dame transfer, going into Pittsburgh. So we'll see how he does. I think he's done a little bit better than, you know, what Slovis – has done or at least did in Pittsburgh. Of course, we're this is not going to be the last time we mention Keaton Slovis because he's actually in the very next conference we're talking about. Uh, but going on down the line of the ACC, once again, Wake Forest at nine. Without Sam Hartman, I like the pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Syracuse at 10. No more Sean Tucker. I think that's fair. Virginia Tech at 11. You know, there's maybe some room for growth there, but room one or room one. Year one for Brent Pry was a little rough down there in Virginia Tech. So uh, we'll see what they can do. It, it was like one of the worst seasons they've had in a long time at Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech is a program that was quite used to being a yeah, great football long, program. The prolonged bowl streak. Yeah, and just all kind of came tumbling down there. I realistically i don't know if i see a path back for virginia tech in the near future i think it's going to take a lot of time to get that program back on track and build something special again all right 12 you've got georgia tech and i I mentioned a certain quarterback earlier that was transferring away from texas a&m he was named the starter today haynes king at georgia (laughs) tech man Haynes King just beautiful throwing motion. Oh my gosh. It's the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen. It's, it's awful. It's so natural. It looks like he's trying to, you know, yeah. flip a burger <laughs> while you, he's throwing the ball. It's bad, dude. Um, so you've got him as your starter and you've got Brent key in his first official year as head coach. Of course they fired Jeff Collins mid season last year. And you know, the, the team finished on a better note overall than where it started. But I was talking to somebody about this and, I want to see if you agree, Dom, but hiring Brent Key, removing the interim tag after, you know, kind of a lackluster season, but, you know, a good resolve there at the end, it's kind of similar to what Ole Miss did with Matt Luke fairly recently, and I'm I'm starting to see some parallels here. Yeah, I definitely think that it's kind of in that same vein and just – I, I never know about hiring interim head coaches unless they truly impress. I just feel like – I feel like hiring the interim head coach most of the time leads the program to just kind of being okay with mediocrity for a while. Yeah, definitely. Last two teams, Boston College and Virginia. Virginia, of course, is who Tennessee opens the schedule with in Nashville. They're picked dead last in the ACC media polls. So not a lot of people high on Tony Elliott over there at Virginia. Yeah, I don't see any reason to be... Yeah, uh, we'll obviously see what we'll we'll get a better look at what this team could be down the line here in Nashville here in what is that a week and a half now? Yeah, so, just about. Yeah, I will be there. I will be covering the game, so I'll have my eyes on Virginia. I, I want to see what they look like going into the year. All right, Big Twelve now. 
Texas is projected to win the Big 12. They are number one in the Big 12 media poll. We've been down this road before. We many, know many years we of know, this road. We know Texas <laughs> has the talent to win the conference. It's a question of whether or not they can put it all together, and they haven't done that since 2009. All right, guys. Is Texas back? We got to know. No, I, I don't think that Texas is really deserving of this. For me, Texas is now at that point where it does not matter who they bring in, the level of yeah. talent, any of that. They have to prove it in the regular season before I'm ever going to pick them to win anything meaningful. Yeah. This team undoubtedly has the talent. They looked pretty solid last season. They had some great they had that great game against Bama where they really looked capable of competing. Quinn Ewers looks like a great quarterback and you know, it's a team that really looks capable of getting things done, but they got to prove it in the regular season. I just don't see any reason why I don't see any reason why this is acceptable to keep ranking them this high. I feel like defending champions should usually be at the top of their conference and Kansas state. I think they will still be quite the solid team, but obviously your guy is gone. Yeah, he is gone. Uh, Deuce Vaughn is now a member of the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, Kansas state being picked there is pretty interesting to me. I, I believe one of their quarterbacks, Will Howard is back this season. I know Adrian Martinez has moved on. Of course, like I just said, he didn't have one more year left in him. No, I mean, <laughs> he'd been around forever. Uh, so you do have a Florida State transfer coming in and Treshawn Ward at running back. You've got a good receiver coming back in Phillip Brooks and what looks like a pretty experienced O-line. I would assume whatever they've got on the defensive end is good enough over there. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, going back to Texas, I really do think this is a prove-it year for them because this is the final year in the Big 12 as we know it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go over to the SEC where it is going to be much tougher for them to win titles. They are in a position right now to win the Big 12, probably the best they've been in quite a bit, especially with Oklahoma. I mean, I know Oklahoma's picked three in here, but they were down last year. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of trust in Brent Venables just yet. So, you know, is there anybody out there that you think should win this thing in the Big 12 that's not Texas? That really is the question. I think that Kansas State is a team just because of what they achieved last season under their head coach, who I'm forgetting the name of. Chris Kleiman. Chris Kleiman. He's proven himself to be a really solid coach. I mean, uh, they won the Big 12 last year against a TCU team that was red hot. So this is a team that is capable of winning big games and doing big things. It's just that's an interesting situation because it's more of a question of how that talent on the K-State team plays out because, unfortunately for them, they're not a program that is super attractive to recruits. Absolutely not. So, like we were saying, Oklahoma's in there at the three spot. We know Brent Venables is going to be in a tough situation this year, right? He's... He finished last season six and seven. That's the worst they've done in Oklahoma in quite some time. Mm-hmm. He's got a decent quarterback in Dylan Gabriel coming back. You know the talent's there, but you got to go out and prove it. Yeah, and I do. I do have faith in this Oklahoma team. I think they'll start to get it back together. Uh, obviously, Venables coming from a defensive background, I think, just needs to find a way to work that defensive identity yeah. into his team because it was not there. 
last season. I think that perhaps he tried to focus on keeping it like Lincoln Riley had it at Oklahoma, where it was super yeah. focused on just the offense. And I think that if he puts more of his identity into the team, I think that they'll start heading the right direction. But you never know. And once again, it's a prove-it year for them too, right? Mm-hmm. Going to the SEC next year, you have the talent to win the conference, but you got to go out there and do it. So that's my thought on Oklahoma. We've got actually nine more teams, or wait a minute, I'm, I can't do math here because the Big 12 is not really the Big 12 right now. It's the <laughs> Big 14 because you've got four more teams added to the conference this year, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF is the other one. So you have those four teams, and it makes it more than just 12 teams in there. And here's one that I find pretty fascinating. You've got Texas Tech in there at four. Texas Tech is – it just feels like the perennial backwater program in the Big 12, right? You know, they're they're happy with a nice eight-win season out there, and that's what they were last year. Are they going to get to a point where they really rise above everybody else? I don't think so, and I think that's the problem with the Big 12 right now is that beyond Texas, K-State, and Oklahoma – there's just not really a team to look to. Yeah. Um, especially with Oklahoma State falling apart last season and Baylor obviously not being what they once were and then TCU losing yeah. just about everyone. Yeah, I mean, just going down the line here, TCU is not at all going to be what it was last year, at least personnel-wise. They're going to have the same system going, yeah. but you're losing, what, 8 of 11 starters on the offensive end. So it's going to be a much different look there. You don't know what you're going to get with Baylor. That offense was ugly at times last season. You know, they did it a lot with defense, and that's how they're going to have to do it again this year. And looking at Oklahoma State, lame duck year last year. You know, they finished with, what, either six or seven wins. and That was supposed to be a huge season for them, too. (laughs) It was, and you you lose Spencer Sanders to the transfer portal and a lot more guys to the transfer portal than just Spencer Sanders, if I can recall. So they're picked right there at seven in the Big 12, which just feels kind of crazy because it feels like Oklahoma State is a program that usually stays near the top in the conference. Yeah, this is I, – I feel like this might be, you know, the beginning of the end for Oklahoma State almost, especially losing uh, the Bedlam series with Oklahoma. <sighs> so awful. It's, it's disgusting. It's one of the best rivalries in – all of college football and it's such a fun one yeah and i think with losing a big marquee matchup like that it's it's hard for a program like oklahoma state in a place like stillwater to continue to attract big names unless they continue to play great football and i just don't see uh, the signs of sustainability for them to continue to play great football but going rounding it back to tcu that is one where i also think Maybe we're doubting Sonny Dykes a little bit too much. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because TCU was, I, I think they only won five games in Gary Patterson's final year there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think he is definitely a developer, no question, after what we saw last season. But, you know, it could be like a bit of a Gus Malzahn effect, you know, where you also you, you get to that national championship the first year, but you don't win it, and then you just kind of settle into upper-level mediocrity. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see that playing out for TCU, but at the same time, that is pretty solid for TCU considering uh, what that program is. And historically, they are a rather good program. But yeah, 
uh, with how the landscape of college football is changing right now, for them to be able to hold on to that would be really key and really important. But like you said, Sonny Dykes came in and no one really thought he would be all that great for TCU and for him to reach the national championship, pretty remarkable. So maybe he has something left in him. Yeah. So looking at the bottom of the Big 12 here, you've got UCF is the, the first new team in here. So weird seeing them here. It is it is odd. They you know, they officially expand. Well, they're going to they're going to be from well, Utah all the way down to Central Florida here next season, which is just it's it's all bizarre. We could talk about conference realignment all day. I don't I don't want to, but yes, UCF is here in the Big 12. Speaking of Gus Malzahn, that's his team, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they they settled into kind of what he did at Auburn too, which is kind of weird that they are allowing him there after the success of guys like Scott Frost and Josh Heupel down there. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be a tougher conference, and I think they're just going to have to get used to it at some point. So you have them there. And then the lovely Kansas, who we discussed at length last season because they started the season off Red R- hot. Rather remarkably for Kansas, you know, I, I think the uh, the Lance Leipold effect was real last year. Hopefully it continues. I believe they had most of the key pieces from that offense last season. So obviously it's Kansas. They're never going to be projected super high in the conference, but good to see them looking like a competent program again. Yeah. Does lightning strike twice in the same place is kind of what we're asking with Kansas because if lightning is six and seven, then yes. <laughs> well, for Kansas, that's like winning the Super Bowl. I oh, mean, yeah. That's a pretty unachievable mark at that program for where they've been at. And yeah. if they continue to put together six six and seven seasons, that is something it's that okay. they can... They, yeah, it's they, okay with them. They can really build upon that, too, because once you get that baseline, then people start thinking about the program more, and then you, know, you get more opportunities as long as you continue to perform. But uh, <laughs> did you see those stadium renderings? No. Kansas is proposing this big stadium renovation. Oh, man. It's going to add a lot of It better seats. be good. Yeah. Uh, so I guess they believe in Lance Leipold down there, or they just got nothing better to do with the program's money because, uh, I mean, how much can you build the basketball facilities up? <laughs> Not much more. 10 through 14 here, you've got Iowa State, who really had a rough year, and their quarterback has been busted for gambling. We do know about that gambling going on in Iowa, which is not good at all for Iowa State. So, understandable prediction there. You got BYU at 11. There's not much love for any of these new teams, actually. You got BYU, Houston, Cincinnati all in a row. Of course, Cincinnati, new coach, a lot of new personnel there. Makes total sense. Dana Holgerson making his grand return to the Big 12 with Houston. Uh, you know, I, I, they were a bit of a disappointment last season. I don't think they performed as well as some people expected them to. So going into the Big 12, it's obviously going to be a lot tougher. I actually think BYU could be all right this year just with some of the pieces that they have, both returning and coming in on offense. Oh, I definitely agree. And BYU is a team that people in the West know a bit more about, specifically where I'm from, there's a lot of Mormons, so there's a lot of BYU yeah. fans. And what the things you kind of need to know about this program is that they're always going to be pretty good just because of the fact that they send their guys on their mission trips and then they come back and they're like 28 with oh, college yeah. eligibility still yeah. left. So these are grown men playing for BYU. 
But beyond that, Lavelle Edwards is a great stadium, and I don't see them losing many games at home. And I think they're going to be able to stay at least mid of the conference just because they have a really strong home field advantage. Oh, yeah, there's absolutely a home field advantage out there. It's part of the reason probably why Tennessee didn't want to go there this year, and they're playing Nashville or Nashville. They're playing in Nashville against Virginia instead of going out there to start the season. So, yeah, we'll see what BYU can construct in their time in the in the Big 12, and it's interesting to see them in a conference again mm-hmm. after not being there for so long. And then finally, 14, you've got West Virginia, and I think a lot of people have had their eye on the hot seat here for Neil Brown for at least a couple of seasons now. Yeah, I don't know how he's not gone yet. I honestly, reading West Virginia at the bottom, I assumed that they'd finally gotten rid of him because I haven't paid attention to their program because they haven't been relevant for a while now. And (laughs) I just can't believe that they haven't gotten rid of this guy. It's unreal. Yeah, his best season was the COVID year when they went six and four. He Ooh. went five and seven in twenty nineteen, six and seven in twenty twenty one, five and seven in twenty twenty two. I know I know they needed to get rid of Dana Holgerson. There was a lot of discontent both between the fans and the athletic department and him, but Neil Brown has just done an objectively worse job there. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly. All right. One final power five conference and oh it's a final final for this particular conference uh i i it just makes me so sad that we're about to talk about this This is the last year of the pac 12 as we know it probably will be the last year of the pack anything as we know it just because there's only four gonna be four teams left once next season comes around yeah and it's even worse as more details continue to emerge because seeing that they had a tv deal on the table that would have paid them nice and solid but they end up rejecting it. It's it's telling of the story of the Pac-12, just incompetent leadership at the top of a conference that had a ton of potential. I mean, this is actually one of the strongest conferences yeah. this year. I, I look at the top five teams for the Pac-12 going into the season. I really like all these teams. You know, USC, of course, if they beat Utah just once, they're in the college football playoff last season. Uh, Washington had a really good year last year, won the Alamo Bowl, Michael Penix. Had a great season. They get a lot of pieces back on that offense. Utah, who is just a steady, traditional program, they find ways to you know, win nine, ten games a year. That's one of those programs that's just happy to be doing that. And Kyle Whittingham, he's been doing it a long time. You've got Oregon, which has the Bo Nix revival out there, which has worked out quite well uh, with Dan Lanning over there in one year. And you got Oregon State, who won 10 games last year without a quarterback, and they bring in DJ Uyangalale, who I know Clemson fans despised by the end of his career there, but he's better than what they had last year. So you got to think Oregon State can at least be solid as well. I, I like those five. I don't like UCLA, who's number six. I know they had a pretty good year last year, but they lose all their good pieces. But back to my original point, this is a solid top five, and you know they really could go at it with a lot of these tougher teams in the country. I mean, we, we've talked about how bad the Pac-12 has been for so long, but last year, 2022, is one of the best seasons they've had probably since they got Washington to the playoff back in 2016. Yeah, the Pac-12 at the top has a lot of talent up there, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out just because they are teams that are capable of beating each other. I mean, a- any of the teams in the top five could realistically beat 
uh, the other teams and that are ranked above them. Yeah. So I, I don't know exactly how this conference is going to play out, to be honest. I think that the offensive firepower of USC is going to be hard to stop. I think that's a solid number one pick just because I don't see another defense on this list that I think is truly capable of stopping USC. So yeah. And nobody really did stop them last year. I know they lost three games, but aside from that Pac-12 championship where they only put up 24 points in comparison to a lot of their other games, I mean, they put up 40-plus at Utah. They put up 40-plus in the bowl against Tulane. So it's it's one of those teams that's going to be really hard to stop. But I think there's potential that one team could, you know, maybe outrun them, you know, like a Washington mm-hmm. or an Oregon particularly. Yeah, and I mean, if USC learns how to tackle, oh, my I goodness. Know. I know. Oh, my goodness. It might be over for everyone. Lincoln Riley's not a believer, <laughs> though. Lincoln Riley, uh, he teaches the players how to play two-hand touch, and then he forgets to change it to nope. uh, tackle rules. Nope. Not at all. Uh, all right, last six here in the Pac-12 in our final power conference here. We have got Washington State at seven, Arizona at eight, California at nine. I think Washington State's a solid pick there, and I think Arizona's maybe a team that could find their way into a bowl. I know number 10 on this list, Arizona State, they uh, – they named their starting quarterback today, Jaden Rashada, the guy that had all the NIL issues with Florida, so he ended up there instead. So, you know, maybe maybe he's the future there. You know, they can get over the Herm Edwards nonsense that they're in right now. I know, obviously, they fired Herm pretty early in the season last year, but you just knew it was a lost cause last year with them. Yeah, here at the bottom of the Pac-12, it's kind of just – there's a little bit of mediocrity all over the place. Although yeah. Wazoo is the only thing that sticks out to me because Wazoo is actually pretty solid, and they were able to yeah. they were able to look pretty decent last season. The They're tiny, okay. They, they beat Wisconsin toward the beginning of the year, and they'll yep. play Wisconsin again this year. I know. Yeah, and I I think you know maybe there's a slight chance they pull an upset there just because maybe. just because no one's expecting Wazoo to walk in there and pull it off against uh, this new revamped Wisconsin team that is probably pretty nervous to get the season started. Yeah. So I think that's one to watch out for there in a week one or yeah, is it week one. I don't think it's week, week one, two. probably week two or three. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, there's really not a whole lot of marquee matchups in week one this year. Just not off the top of my head. Um, but rounding out the media poll in the Pac-12, here's one that a lot of people are going to have their eyes on. Colorado is in there at 11 this year. <laughs> I've seen a certain analyst for Fox put them in their top 25. Hmm. Do you know who that could be, Dominic? I wonder. like, Because uh, Fox just has so many good analysts that everybody loves and would never make ridiculous lists. En- enlighten me. Who might it be? Could it be the one and only R.J. Young? Hmm. No, he's usually really smart with his Is picks. he now? Is he? No. Yes, RJ Young put him in his top 25 to start the season. Colorado, who, by the way, won one game last year. They've hired Deion Sanders and brought in a ton of transfers. But it, this is going to be the biggest experiment in college football, without a doubt, just because we don't know what we're going to get from this team. Of course, we know they're going to be on their way out of the Pac-12 
back to the Big 12, which is very interesting to think about. Yeah, that's a weird one to yeah. wrap my head around. Especially it, what makes that one feel so weird to me is it does make sense. I feel like they fit as a yeah. big – I feel like they fit in both those conferences yeah. very well oh, uh, identity-wise. But Big 12, Colorado without Nebraska just feels kind of wrong. Do you – what do you consider a successful season? Like maybe five wins for Colorado this year? I don't even think that's realistic. Really? I feel, I feel like this is a team that's maybe looking at three wins just wow. because I, I, I'm I, not a Dion believer. I, I'm okay. just not. I mean. I'm not either. We've seen the footage from practice where they have their Twitter handles on the back of their jerseys. <laughs> I just, I don't think that. It's, uh, I just think that it's a program that is creating a very odd and different culture and maybe it works out for them, but, uh, I, I just don't see it doing so. And I mean, a lot of their transfers are coming from, you know, Dion's old school, which obviously Jackson state was a great team within their own division, but they're coming to a new division of yeah. college football that is a lot faster. It's a lot quicker. It's more talented. It yeah, whole different ball game. And I don't know if those guys are ready for it. And I think that Dion's already made a lot of enemies on that team with just how he treated the oh, former absolutely. players. Yeah. And part of it with, with Dion Sanders stepping into here, Dion was able to take advantage of the, you know, uh, how do I say this? Um, you know, maybe the lack of, prowess among some of these HBCU programs out there. He's a big name. He's going in there. He's bringing his sons who are highly talented, and he turned them into something fun to watch. Now, how is he going to translate that to Power 5 football? And I don't think it's going to translate very well at all. Yeah, and I mean, that's just the question it all centers around, and I don't think there's a way that it really translates to Power 5 football just because it's a, it's a whole different game, and obviously, uh, all love and respect to HBCUs and what he did over there was super cool bringing relevancy to these programs that have been often overlooked. And there is a plethora of talent there and they do have incredible talent and very fun games to watch, but it it's just a very different talent level. Absolutely. So that concludes going through the media polls here. We had Stanford at number 12, but I, I don't think anybody's debating that <laughs> right now, just after the disaster that that program became. Uh, so on, we, we haven't talked about any group of five teams. We won't really go into a whole lot of depth there, uh, just today, but you know, is there anybody that really stands out to you, Dominic? I'm thinking of two programs right now, uh, Tulane and UTSA, one of which is going to come here in a little over a month's time to Knoxville to play Tennessee and UTSA. But, uh, outside of those two, I don't see one that just particularly sticks out right now. I don't really think I do either. I think that the group of five teams, uh, they're hard to call at the start of the year regardless of how it all goes. And usually it just kind of ends up being a factor of how the other teams play in their conference because I feel as though a lot of the times it's the team that's able to stay consistent and be good, comes out on top of these conferences that have teams that end up struggling because they have a lot of turnover and coaches and players with people moving on. But... You know, I 
Boise State is always a team that comes to my mind whenever I think of. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder too. It's not like I'm from there. How, or how are they? Uh, how are they looking this year? I I'm personally not the biggest believer in Avalos as the head coach, and a lot of people are actually a little bit high on them, which I don't know if I understand. Taylor Green is a good yeah. quarterback, but he. You know, he was a bit inconsistent, I feel like. The way season. I look at Boise State is that no matter how, you know, mediocre they are in the season, they're always going to be at or near the top of the Mountain West just because you look at some of the other places like Nevada will have a good year here and there. You know, Wyoming will have a good season here and there when it has like a Josh Allen or somebody of that caliber. Maybe Utah State or San Diego State can make some noise, but – I mean, really, outside of that, you're not looking at a whole lot of competition for Boise State. Maybe Air Force would be the best competitor. Yeah, Air Force is always one to watch out for in general because they run that option offense that can always create some problems. And so they've they've been a relentless opponent. But Fresno State is definitely the main one. Yeah, that's another one mind. that I, I forgot to mention. Yeah, and Fresno State has been good these past couple of seasons, so that is definitely one to watch out for. But the Mountain West is not super strong this year, uh, especially with Fresno State losing so many pieces from that team that was good. So I I don't know what to quite make of it. I think that Boise State has a great chance to win the conference, but if they go into a bowl game against a team that is obviously from a better conference that's played better opponents. I don't think they win it. Yeah, and you brought up a good point just a second ago, but a lot of times these group of five teams, or powers at least, will not surface until we're further into the season. It was definitely that case with Tulane last year, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, of course they beat Kansas State at the beginning of the year, but we really didn't know a whole lot about them before that. Then they got to a point later in the year where they just really took over, so... It'll be interesting to see who does it. I mean, I, I have my eyes on Tulane and UTSA for sure, but there could definitely be somebody maybe even in the Sun Belt out there that, you know, maybe pops off or something like an Appalachian State who or heck, maybe even a James Madison, you know. They Coastal were not bad Carolina. last year. Coastal <laughs> Carolina, yeah, they they can kind of come out of the woodwork. You just never know what you're going to get. ECU occasionally too. Yeah. Some of those Carolina teams can be a little bit fun. They've been down for a while. Um, yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe their time is coming here soon. Okay, so to close out today, we've obviously got some college football this weekend. It's week zero. It's just kind of an appetizer, if that is the best way to put it. Maybe just like a very light snack, essentially, after a very long fast. So a couple that you can keep an eye on. You've got Notre Dame and Navy playing over there in Ireland, you've got Vanderbilt playing Hawaii over in Nashville. USC playing San Jose to San Jose State to start the year. So, I mean, unless a major upset happens, I, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot this week. But, you know, Dominic, you got anything else that you've got an eye on? I, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this week. I believe we get to see Jacksonville State's first FBS matchup. That is true. They so, uh, they will be in the FBS for the first time after, you know, giving some FBS teams a run for their money and actually beating a couple of them. They beat Ole Miss and Florida State to start the year a couple different times. So it'll be fun to see them. Yeah, I always yeah. I always love seeing a team move up. So I I might keep my eyes on UTEP and Jayville State. Yeah. And UTEP is a team that 
I think I think they've actually been kind of okay the past couple Maybe. seasons. I don't remember. I, it's hard to keep track, but especially that. with UTSA also being the exact same colors as UTEP. Yeah, it, that is true. It actually upsets me. <laughs> yeah, that is very complicated. Well, I think it's safe to say that we're going to forego predictions for this week. If there's anything that, you know, crazy upsets or whatever that happens this weekend, we will inform you guys of it. But I think it's pretty safe to say that there's not going to be a whole lot. I am inclined to agree, unless uh, the Fighting Irish continue to find a way to lose in Ireland. Yep. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this week here on Neyland's Basement. We will be back next week, and with you all season long, we will have some predictions for you of some football games that we actually expect to be competitive. We will see you next week, or you'll hear us next week, one of the two.